You're listening to a message from Redeemer Bible Church. We hope you'll visit us in person, or you can find more messages like this one at RedeemerBibleChurch.com. Please pray with me as we get ready to look into God's Word. Father, we give you thanks for giving us your Word. And I pray now as we consider Jesus in our text before us, that you would Use your word to challenge us and direct our attention to your Son, our Savior, Jesus. May our focus indeed be upon him. In Jesus' name, amen. Perhaps you're familiar with the children's book, Where's Waldo? If you're not, it's, there's a, a guy dressed in a red and white striped sweater with a scarf and black glasses. And the artist draws him into a picture with all kinds of people, shapes, sizes uh, in, in a book. And you search through the book and you try to find Waldo. And oftentimes it takes a long time to find him because there's so many things going on in the picture. And you pour over the page until you finally can find him. Well, let's switch to say that your life is the book. And the title of the book is not Where's Waldo, but the title is Where's Jesus? And if people were to look into that book, how hard would they have to look to find Jesus? How obvious would he be? I think that's the question that we ought to ask as we look at our passage here this morning. It's in the book of John, John chapter 3. And I'd like to read the passage here as we consider the focus is indeed on Jesus. And that really is the question that we should ask as we look at this passage this morning. Where is Jesus and how important is he? Please follow along then as I read. After this, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside, and he remained there with them and was baptizing. John also was baptizing at Anon near Salim, because water was plentiful there, and people were coming and being baptized, for John had not yet been put in prison. Now a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, He who was with you across the Jordan, to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing, and all are going to him. John answered, A person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given to him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. He who comes from heaven, from above, is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He who comes from heaven is above all. He bears witness to what he has seen and heard, yet no one receives his testimony. Whoever receives this testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. For he whom God has sent 
utters the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Well, we see in this passage the main focus of our sermon and the focus of the passage is the idea that our focus must indeed be on Jesus. John the Baptist knew this as, he, as we see in this text here. And this is the point that you and I must embrace. And that is that we must exalt Christ in our worship and in our service. We must be intentionally focused on Jesus. And I think the writer of the gospel here, John, uh, shows us this point in, in uh, two ways here as we look at this text. First of all, he, he develops an account here between John the Baptist's disciples and, uh, and an interaction with John himself. And then, following that narrative, he gives instruction about Jesus in verse, beginning in verse 31 to 36. And so, as we focus then on Christ, and that is the point of the text, I'd like us to see that in both the story that is given here and the statement about Christ. So let's begin by looking at the story that is presented to us here. And it's an interesting one because Jesus and his disciples are baptizing, and John the Baptist and his disciples are baptizing. In fact, John the Baptist had disciples before Jesus did. And now they are nearby, near to one another, and they are baptizing. And we notice here a bit of ministry envy on the part of John the Baptist's disciples. See it there in verse 26. Because they come to John and they say, Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan to whom you bore witness, that of course is Jesus, look, he is baptizing and all are going to him. Well, they're concerned. Seems that Jesus is getting more attention than John. And... John's disciples are worried about this. But John uses this occasion to teach a very important point. A very important point about where our attention ought to go. Before we get there, I think it's good for us to consider this notion of ministry envy. Because we can all be tempted to look at gospel ministry as a turf war sometimes easy to be tempted to compare our ministry here at Redeemer with that of other gospel-preaching churches in our area. And when we begin to compare, we can fall off the fence in one of two wrong directions. On one side, we can become jealous, like John's disciples did, and to ask why this other church has a larger attendance than ours or has another type of ministry that we do not offer. And on the other side, we can begin to question the motives of other churches, accusing them of having a marketing mentality or of using emotional appeals to boost attendance or of preaching a weak gospel. Now, these sorts of things might be true in some cases, but we must avoid this type of a comparing spirit. We must not give in to this temptation like John the Baptist's disciples did. And so we see the scene is set here for the transition to 
what John is going to respond and say to his disciples beginning in verse 27. And John here makes three important points about ministry, about service that are really important for us to gather or to understand as we consider Jesus as our focus. The first point found for us in verse 27 is that a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given to him from heaven. So John the Baptist reminds us to remember God's providence. Remember God's providence. John tells us here that our ministries, our place in life, our job, our income, our family, our neighbors, all of these come into our lives by God's appointment. We must remember that his providential work is bringing about all of these events into our lives. Indeed, we have nothing, and I think it's important for us to remember, we, we have nothing to do with why we are in the place that we are except by God's appointment. It has come from him. It is by his good pleasure and grace. We might like to think that our unique abilities, our personalities, our self-confidence, our initiation has succeeded in helping us to receive the ministry or the place that God has given us. We need to put such thinking out of our minds. And remember that enlistment in God's army of gospel workers is not an opportunity for you to tell God how happy or disappointed you are with the area of life that you find yourself. In fact, when you chose to join this particular church, God knew exactly what your gifts and talents were, and he had a specific place or places where he wanted you to use those gifts. So remember, you don't receive anything apart from God's divine appointment. So trust in his providential care and direction. He will put you where he wants, doing what he wants at the time that he wants. So trust him and be thankful for the privilege to serve. Acknowledge God's wisdom in giving you the gifts that you have and in placing you and putting you in the place where you can use those gifts for his glory. John makes a second point. Not only are we to remember God's providence, we are to remember his mandate for us and for our ministry. Notice what John says in verse 28. You yourselves bear me witness that I said I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. We could go back two chapters in the book of John, back to chapter 1, where he comes right on and says he confesses and did not deny, verse 20, I am not the Christ. Indeed, he says, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. John knew exactly why he was here. He was not here to be first in line. He was here to put Christ forward. That was his ministry. That was his mandate. And he knew what his mandate for ministry was. I think it's important that all of us remember what our mandate for ministry is. And that is that we would use the gifts and abilities that God has granted to us for ministry to others in this body so that we are unified in purpose, so that others 
at our jobs and in our families and in our neighborhoods. Others will see the love of Christ shining through us. The Apostle Paul reminded us as well of this very point in Romans chapter 12 and verse 6, where he said, Having gifts then that differ according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. Let us use them. God has indeed gifted each person in the body here at Redeemer, and he asks us to remember our mandate, to use those gifts in ministry and service to others. So John the Baptist has said, first of all, that we must remember God's providential placement. We must also remember his mandate for our ministry. And then thirdly, he reminds us that we need to know what the focus of our lives and ministries are, and that focus is Jesus. He uses an illustration to make this point and talks about the best man at a wedding. He says, the one who has the bride is the bridegroom, and the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. John compares his ministry to that of the best man at a wedding. And how strange would it be if we attended a wedding and as the bride's coming down the aisle and the groom's getting ready to uh, meet her at the front of the auditorium and the uh, best man jumps out in front and grabs the hand of the bride before the groom does. We'd say that's absolutely ridiculous. That's not what the purpose of the best man is. No, the purpose of the best man is to put the groom forward. And that's what John the Baptist is saying about his ministry. And he says that to make the point that he makes there in verse 30, that he must increase and that I must decrease. So John uses this illustration to make this great point, that the focus of our ministry, the focus of our lives must be on Jesus. He must be in the foreground, and I must be in the background. Now, how does it happen that we get this backwards sometimes? Well, I think sometimes we might embrace words of approval rather than reflecting praise to God. In our private conversations, we might focus more on our lives and our children's lives or our family's life or our week's achievements rather than directing attention to Christ. Now, I'm not saying that every conversation must be about Christ specifically, but do you say anything at all about him? Do the people that you talk with in your life know that Christ is important to you? Or would they say that your children or your job or your home improvement project or your favorite sports team when they start playing again is what you were focused on? Now, as we consider, continue to uh, consider the issue of increasing affection for Christ, I think we need to ask ourselves, how well am I focusing my worship and my service on Christ? Is my love and affection for him obvious? Even obvious in the way I sing when we gather and looking forward to being able to gather together soon. When we gather together and sing, even when you're at your home and you're singing in, in front of uh, your uh, screen as you watch this tape, can those around you see that Christ matters 
is the love of Christ clearly shown in how you focus on preaching and teaching of God's word? Can your children tell that Christ means everything to you? How important is Christ to you, and does it show? If we do not make a concerted and intentional effort to focus our attention, our worship on Christ, he will gradually become less and less significant, pushed to the periphery, marginalized, assumed, taken for granted, and you can't allow this tragedy to take place in your worship of Christ. He is too great, and our mission is too important. The gospel call is too urgent for us to diminish the focus from Christ in any way. He must increase, and I must decrease. So we see that John has given to us a reminder here about our providential placement, our mandate for ministry, and where the focus of our ministry needs to be. It needs to be on Jesus. So John, the gospel writer, then, takes this account of John's interaction with his disciples, and he uses it to make some specific points about Jesus. That's where I want to direct our attention to, again here, beginning in verse 31. Actually, there are four points that John, the gospel writer, makes about Jesus. First, the first point is that he who comes from above, that statement is made here. This speaks to the fact that Jesus' origins are divine. He's from above. In comparison to John the Baptist, Jesus is from heaven, whereas John and all the rest of humanity, all of us, are of the earth, both in our origin and in our nature. Jesus is not just a man. He's not just a man. We, we human beings are finite and limited. Jesus, however, is not. He is from above. So that's the first point that John brings out here. He comes from above. Later in verse 31, he comes from heaven. The second point that we see here about Jesus and the emphasis here is that Jesus is sovereign and he is over all. See that at the beginning of verse 31? He who is from above, he is above all. That statement is made at the end of verse 31 as well. He is above all. This speaks of Jesus as the supreme ruler over all things. Indeed, the famous quotation from Abraham Kuyper with a few modifications from John Piper and myself reminds us of this very important truth of Jesus' sovereignty and rule over all the world. <clears throat> Jesus is supreme in every admirable way over everything, over galaxies and endless reaches of space, over the earth from the top of Mount Everest, 29,000 feet up to the bottom of the Pacific Ocean, 36,000 feet down in the, into the Mariana Trench. He is supreme over all plants and animals, from the peaceful blue whale to the microscopic killer viruses, over all weather and movements of the earth, hurricanes, tornadoes, monsoons, earthquakes, avalanches, floods, snow, rain, sleet, over all chemical processes that heal and destroy, cancer, AIDS, malaria, Ebola, coronavirus, and all the workings of antibiotics and a thousand healing medicines. 
He is supreme over all countries and all governments and all armies, over Al-Qaeda and Al-Shabaab and Hamas and kidnappings and suicide bombings and beheadings. He's over Xi Jinping and Kim Jong-un. He's over all nuclear threats from Iran or North Korea. He is supreme over all politics and elections and over all education and universities and scholarship and science and research and over all business and finance and industry and manufacturing and transportation and over all the internet and information systems. There is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry mine. Jesus is sovereign. He is over all. We see also that Jesus is a God who speaks. He utters the words of God. We see that in verse 34. He whom God has sent utters the words of God. He speaks. And indeed gives us an example and a reminder that we too must speak. We must bear witness and testimony and testify to what we have seen and heard, just as Jesus did. No one will get offended by a gospel that we are failing to proclaim. Most of your colleagues at your work or school or in your neighborhood are quite happy with you as long as you don't bring God into your conversations. They're quite happy that you have strong beliefs, that you're a good employee, that you live in a way that keeps the peace in your personal relationships, but they do not want you to testify about Jesus or the claims of the gospel. We must ask God for the courage to speak, to speak the truth, to witness to the gospel. The effects of such speech may result in someone not receiving your message. They did for Jesus. We see that here. Not everyone receives his testimony. But take heart, because many did not, did not receive Jesus' message either. But you ought to be encouraged because some do. And indeed, that is what our call is, to testify to the gospel, just as Jesus does. Well, the fourth thing we see about Jesus from this text is that he is the recipient of the Spirit. We're told here that he gives the Spirit without measure. And the Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. This is why Jesus, in the end of Matthew, Matthew 28, verse 18, could say that all authority has been given to me in heaven and in earth. This is why Jesus is the head over all things. This is by virtue of the fact that Jesus left heaven and became incarnate and died on the cross and rose again and ascended back to the Father. He has indeed earned the right to be Lord, King, and exalted Son. So Jesus has come from heaven. He is divine. He is over all things. He speaks the truth, even though some do not receive it. And he is the recipient of the Spirit's ministry and the Father's love. In short, he deserves our attention, our exaltation, and our heartfelt and lifelong worship. Well, then in verse 36, we see a response that John is calling upon everyone who hears this text to consider. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. What a great truth to know 
that if we embrace the truth of the good news of the gospel, we have eternal life. But there's another side, another choice that people make, and that is to reject. We're told here they do not obey, which is just another way of saying they do not believe in the gospel. And what is the punishment for them? The wrath of God remains on them. Eternal punishment in hell awaits those who refuse to obey the gospel. What a need then we have to proclaim this gospel and what a need all who hear my voice have to believe in the gospel that they might have eternal life. May God indeed then help us to keep our focus on the supremacy of Christ. John the Baptist makes that point in this text by talking about our providential placement, our mandate for ministry, and where the focus of our ministry ought to be. John the Gospel writer makes that point by telling us about Jesus' divinity, of his sovereignty, of the fact that he speaks this truth to us in his word by the Spirit, and that he has indeed been a recipient of the Spirit's uh, work in his life, exalting him and bringing him, putting him forth. If I could ask you again, where's Jesus? I want to encourage you that you would be sure that no one misses seeing Jesus when they look at the book of your life. They don't have to pour over the page wondering where Jesus is because he's so obvious. He's right there. This is indeed to be then the focus of our lives. You and I must humbly take the back seat and remember that he must increase and I must decrease. Would you pray with me? Father, we give you thanks for this great text and this reminder that Jesus must be the focus, the main focus of our lives, that others would look at us and see him. May Jesus indeed increase as we decrease, that our focus would be on him. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.